Last night, Lindley and I were able to share a, a wonderful meal together. It was so good. Every bite was just so savory and fulfilling. I love that feeling of being perfectly satisfied by just the right meal. You know that feeling? This morning when I woke up, I did not think to myself, I don't need to eat today because that meal was so incredible last night. I didn't think that. When I woke up this morning, I began thinking about what I'm going to eat today. I love breakfast. In fact, breakfast may be my favorite meal of the day. And when I eat a great breakfast, and it is so satisfying, I never find myself thinking, because this breakfast was so incredible, I'm not going to need to eat lunch or supper. I don't do that. That's not how it works for me. It's actually the opposite. I began thinking about every meal that I'm going to have after I eat a wonderful meal. It's just not enough to be satisfied with one meal. I've got to eat another meal and then another one two or three times a day, every four hours. You know what I'm saying? You're already probably thinking about your meal coming up in a couple hours. I tell you that because... Food satisfaction is not the only and certainly not the best satisfaction for which we were designed. I want to tell you about the best satisfaction for which God designed each one of us. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, we're going to read verses 13 through 17. 1 John 5, 13 through 17. These things I wrote to you in order that you might know that you have eternal life. To those who believe in the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence which we have before Him. When we ask, Anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. When anyone sees his brother sinning a sin that does not lead to death, he must ask and he will give him life to those sinning not to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that one should ask about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin that leads to death. John makes it very clear here in verse 13 why he wrote this letter to the churches. He wrote this because he wants, and this is God's heart for us, God wants us to know we have eternal life. So John writes these things under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, echoing God's heart for us, God wants us to have the satisfaction of knowing we have eternal life. 
So John writes these things, and these things could be summarized in three categories. When you read the book of 1 John, you're going to see three primary themes come out. You can know you have eternal life by believing in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one and only Messiah who came, lived his life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead. So if you place your faith in him, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of eternal life. In receiving the gift of eternal life through your faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you his Holy Spirit so that you might have the presence of God with you, encouraging you to continue in that faith. And the Holy Spirit who is with you because you've placed your faith in Christ shows you areas of your life where sin is still robbing you of the experience of your eternal life that has been given to you as a gift through your faith in Jesus Christ. As the Holy Spirit convinces you of sins in your life that's robbing you of the experience that God has given you through your faith in Jesus Christ of eternal life, then you can confess those sins to the Lord. And Jesus Christ tells you that if you confess your sins to Him, He is faithful to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that you might experience the joy of having received His righteousness. And as you confess those sins, to the Lord that he's laid on your heart to confess, you get to experience the favor of God towards you because of Jesus Christ's advocacy on your behalf before the Father so that the favor of God works in your life to bring you out of the sin that you've confessed. So what happens is that God gives you this gift of eternal life. He plants his spirit in you and then he works in you to bring out of your life the things that don't give you the experience of eternal life again and again for the rest of your life. And here's the wonderful thing about it. When God looks at you because you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, he does not see your sin He sees the righteousness of Christ. And in seeing the righteousness of Christ, he does not have a vindictive or judgmental attitude towards you. No, he wants to dispense the favor of of his love for the Son of God towards you. God wants you to know you have eternal life by way of your faith in Christ. And your faith in Christ is lived out through this constant experience of aligning your life with who Jesus Christ is and what he says again and again for the rest of your life. That's faith in Christ. And through that experience, he wants you to know you've received eternal life. He he wants you also to know by way of obedience. The three categories of belief, obedience, and love. So as you, through the presence of the Spirit, leave sin behind more and more, you're leaving sin behind and what's replacing that sin is faithfulness. You're simply aligning your life with Jesus Christ, who he is and what he says, and you're living in obedience to him in the areas in which he is working to cause you to leave more and more sin behind. And when you obey the Lord in an area where you were previously unable to obey him, that experience of faithful obedience because of the favor of God towards you is an experience that is meant to increase your assurance that you have eternal life. God wants you to know 
that you have eternal life. He wants you to know and have that assurance through loving people, particularly those people that are hard to love. We've talked about that multiple times, and the reason is, is because if we can actually love someone that we thought was impossible to love because they've hurt us, because they've been mean to us, because they've been, you know, very unkind to us. And we find within ourselves, because God loves us, because God has forgiven us, the ability to forgive someone's sins against us and actually love them in the same way God's loved us. If we can love someone that we never, ever would have been able to love, do you know what that's going to do for us? It's going to give us the assurance that we really belong to God. Because there's no way we could love so-and-so if it wasn't for God loving us first. But because he loved me, I can love this person who's hurt me. And there's no way I could do that if I didn't belong to the Lord. God wants us to know that we have eternal life. There is no reason to drift into the desert of doubt uncertainty, a lack of confidence that you belong to the Lord. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. There are a few things in my life that I know unequivocally. I know them. I know that Lindley and I have three children. No doubt. We have three kids, and I know that. I know that uh, I can fly fish, and there's not many rivers, maybe, maybe none, this may sound a little arrogant, but maybe none that have trout on that I could not approach and catch fish out of. I know that I can fly fish. Now, those are two things that I know with absolute certainty. I know those things. Now, I know that I can catch fish with a fly rod. But that does not mean that I don't want to have the assurance of what I know. So I find it a necessity to fish several times a year (laughs) in order to have the assurance of what I know. Just because I know something doesn't mean I don't want to have the assurance of what I know. I, I, I know I have three kids, but, but here's the thing. Come June, my youngest is going to graduate from high school. And our three kids are going to go live a life of their own. Two of them are already married. And they're just going to go live a life of their own. I am not going to say to myself, now that all three of my kids are grown and out of the house, Because I know I have kids, I don't ever need to see them again. I'm not going to do that, am I? I know that I have three children, but I love the assurance of my kids being around and having conversations and sitting at the kitchen table and laughing and playing games, praying together, just enjoying each other. I love the assurance of what I know. 
God's word tells me in Romans chapter 10 that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There are promises throughout the Bible that if I place my faith in Jesus Christ, God will forgive me and save me and give me eternal life. God does not lie. He tells the truth. And so I know that if I've called on him, I have eternal life. But praise God for his kindness. That he grants us the opportunity to feast at the table of assurance. Again and again and again for the rest of our lives. He's invited us to that table to experience assurance that we belong to him. And he's done it in this incredible example in 1 John by saying to us, in your confidence, in your assurance that God does not lie and that if you've called on Jesus Christ to save you, that you have been saved. In your assurance of that moment when you leave some sin behind and you start to take up some obedience you've never taken up before, in that moment that you know you belong to God, in that moment you love that person you never thought you could love, maybe if that first step towards love is just praying for them, You realize I belong to God. In that confidence of knowing you have eternal life, you can enter the presence of God in that confidence and you can ask him whatever it is you want to ask him according to his will and he will hear you. God wants you to know that you have eternal life so that you have the confidence to come before him and ask him for whatever you want to ask according to his will. And you know that he's listening. You know that God is listening to you. And because you know that God is listening to you, you know that God is going to answer the request that you ask. God wants you to come before him with assurance that you belong to him so that you know that when you ask him and you pray that he's listening. He's listening to you. He's listening to you with the same attention that the father listened to the son when the son was living on the earth. You read the Gospels and you will see that Jesus Christ has the attention of God the Father. And when you know that you belong to God, you know that God is listening to you with the same attention that the Father gave the Son. He's listening. And if you know that He hears you, then you can know with absolute assurance that He's going to answer you. Jesus says it like this in John chapter 16. He says, ask and you will receive so that your joy may be complete. 
Jesus says, ask and you will receive and you will experience satisfaction in experiencing God's answer. And it's not the satisfaction that comes from getting an answer. It's ultimately the satisfaction that comes from knowing that God is actually listening to you. That what you say matters to him. That you are his son or his daughter. That you're part of his family. And he's listening. God is listening. And the way you know that he's listening to you is you know that you've received eternal life. And if you know that he hears you, then you know you have what you've asked. You know what happens when you pray and you ask the Lord and the Lord answers you have assurance that you are his child. It's feasting at the table of assurance. So God has told us, I want you to know that you have eternal life. And out of the assurance of knowing you have eternal life, based on your faith in Jesus Christ, your obedience to me, and your love for others, out of that growing assurance, I want you to stand before me with confidence, knowing that I am paying attention to you. And I, because I pay attention to you, will answer what you're praying. And when you see that I've answered what you've prayed according to my will, you will have even more assurance. God wants us to live live our Christian life from assurance to assurance. He wants us to know. I love again that we have this great example here in 1 John of what we are to pray if we're going to begin praying according to the will of God. You notice the condition here. If you ask anything according to the will of God, then he's going to answer that request. And right here we have what I would say may be the most important and valuable example of how we should pray according to the will of God. This example says if we see a brother sinning a sin not leading to death, we must pray for that brother. And if we pray for that brother... God will give that brother life. Let's think about this in context of 1 John. 1 John has been been explaining to the people what it means to really believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. There have been people who said, I claim to know God. I claim to follow Christ. I claim to, to love God. And John has been saying, if you claim to do this, then your life ought to look like this. If you claim to believe this, then your life ought to look like this. And he's been making it very clear what happens in a person's life when they've genuinely received eternal life. He wants to make it clear because there's been a group in the church that has been making all kinds of claims, but then they left the church. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, we are told that the people in the church could know that that group was not really ever a part of the family of God because they ultimately rejected Jesus Christ. John made it very clear who Christ is, what it looks like to believe in him. Those people said, we don't want that Christ and we don't want that kind of life. And they left. And John says, you can now know that they were not really what they claimed to be. They're not really brothers and sisters. 
So when the reader would have read a sin not leading to death and a sin leading to death, they would have associated the idea of sinning to death as a rejection of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to believe in that Christ. I'm not going to live that kind of life. I'm going to go my own way. And that rejection of Jesus Christ is the sin that leads to spiritual death. Now, we know that all sin ultimately leads to spiritual death. But when a Christian sins, and we all sin, when a Christian sins, our sin no longer leads to spiritual death because we've trusted in Jesus Christ who paid our spiritual death debt for us. So our sins don't lead to spiritual death anymore because we have exchanged our sins with the righteousness of Christ. And instead of our sins leading to spiritual death, the righteousness of Christ is leading us to spiritual life. But we still all sin, and our sins in our life, even though they don't lead to spiritual death, do hinder our experience of spiritual life. And so we should pray for the brother or the sister in Christ that we see falling into or struggling with sin so that God might bring them out of that sin and restore to them the spiritual life that God has given them in their trust in Jesus Christ. We should be praying for our brothers and sisters when we see them struggling in sin or when we hear them tell us how they're struggling in sin. Now remember, faith in Christ involves the confession of our sin and leaving sin behind more and more under the advocacy of Christ all the rest of our lives. So that tells us that every single believer in Jesus Christ is going to struggle at times with sin. So it should be like a normal practice for us to work together in a church family of sharing with one another how we can pray for each other when we are struggling with sin. A part of our spiritual warfare against temptation and sin should involve sharing with a brother or sister how I'm struggling so that they might pray on my behalf. Because this scripture tells me it's the will of God when I struggle in sin to have victory over that sin and walk in life. And a part of the avenue to that victory is my brother or sister praying for me. And you may be sinning a sin that's so visible, I see it, I know I need to pray for you. But sometimes the sins aren't as visible as we need them to be. And I don't know how to pray for you yet. And it'd be a whole lot better if we were just really good about sharing about where we were struggling so we could pray for each other and claim this victory over sin for each other. A little over a year ago, I had a young man in our church family come to me, and he shared with me his struggle of sin. It was a very difficult conversation for him to have. He was probably really nervous about it, and he didn't hold anything back. In fact, I asked him, are you holding anything back? And he said, no, and he just laid it all out there. And I and several others began praying for him. And recently he came to me and he said to me, it's been one year since I came and shared with you my struggle and sin.
And I want you to know that God's been answering prayer. Because I'm not struggling anymore like I was a year ago with that sin I came to tell you about that I was struggling with. Now, think about what happened in that moment. All right? I've been praying for that brother. And I experienced God listening to me on behalf of my brother. And I saw him restored. And my assurance went up. I'm a child of God. My brother hears about my prayers for him. And he experiences this gift of life from God. And you know what happens? All the sin in his life that was creating opportunities for him to doubt whether he not he belonged to the Lord had been totally changed. And today he knows he belongs to the Lord more than ever. His assurance has increased. Together as we have seen the Lord work, our assurance that we belong to Christ has increased. Because God wants us to know that we have eternal life. Because when you live from assurance to assurance and the satisfaction of knowing everything in life is better. Everything. Now, we shouldn't just pray for our brother or sister who is in sin. Although I think this is a chief and primary example which we should make much of. But it does say that if you ask anything according to the will of God, he's listening and he'll answer. So, this is a great mandate to spend time reading God's word. Because there is no other place you can be better informed of God's will than this book. This book informs us of so many specific ways to follow God and generally addresses every category of your life. The will of God is unveiled in this book so that we might pray according to the will of God and we might experience assurance upon assurance that we belong to Him through prayer. You may say, well, I have an area of my life I'm wondering what the will of God is and I don't know where to look in the Bible. God has given you another gift in your church family. Because in your church family, you have people that God has already prepared to help you walk through that concern over what the will of God is in your life. Ready to walk through it with you in prayer, ready to support you in it. And guess what? Likely knows an area of God's word that applies to what you're struggling with that would help you perfectly. Do you know you're in a church family where there are people here that know more about God's word than you may know? May know more about the particular situation and what God says about that situation His word. You have the word of God, you have your church family. And more than anything else, you have a God who wants you to know you belong to Him. And if one of the ways he wants to assure you that you belong to him is by answering the prayers you pray that are according to his will, that means that God wants you to know his will. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his will so that when you pray, you live from assurance to assurance.
One of the things that Lindley and I did as we were praying about the Lord's will in, in our lives to come to Georgetown to, for me to pastor this church was we recorded, I recorded a lot of the journey and a lot of our prayers along the way. And I would encourage you to make record of your prayers and God's answers as a trophy display of your assurance that God listens to you. One of the more remarkable experiences for us was related to Caden. Many of you heard me when we first got here asking you to pray for Caden. Because uh, he was going into ninth grade in high school and we knew it would be the most traumatic transition for him of all of us in the family. We were deeply concerned over him. We shed a number of tears over the thought of bringing him through that experience. And so we would cry out to the Lord, Lord, would you take care of Caden in this? Would you confirm in his life that you're calling him just as significantly as you're calling us? Would he be able to see your hand like we're seeing his hand? And we would cry out to the Lord. Months before we said anything to Caden, before we ever knew it was really going to happen, Caden walked into our kitchen area one day and said these words. Hey, wouldn't it be really cool if we could live somewhere where we are three hours from our grand, my grandparents, three hours from uh, our little vacation spot on the Rio Frio River, and three hours from our cousins? And Lindley and I looked at each other like, yeah, that'd be pretty incredible. And then after a little bit, I got out the map, and I looked at where Georgetown was, and I did the math. Three hours from the grandparents, about three hours from the cousins, about three hours from the Rio Frio. I was like, Hmm, isn't that interesting? When it came time for us to tell Caden that God was calling us here, very late in the process, sat down with Caden and I shared with him that God was going to move us. It was a very difficult conversation. He was in total shock. He never saw his life changing. He'd grown up his whole life in Abilene, all of his friends since he was crawling in one place. And he sat there with complete shock on his face. Why? I said to him, Caden, I don't know why exactly all the reasons. I don't know what God wants to do in your life, but I know it's his will for your life. But I'm not the only one who knows that God's leading you. God's done something in your life so that you know. I said, you remember several months ago when you walked in and said, what would it be like if we lived three hours away? I said, God wants you to know he's paying attention to you. He loves you. It's going to be okay. When that happened, that was one of many experiences where I knew. We belong to the Lord. Feast at the table of assurance. Pray. Pray. Cry out to the Lord. Cry out for your brothers and sisters. Cry out for life. I mean, our nation needs the church to cry out to the Lord. 
Our church needs the church to cry out to the Lord. And he wants to give us the blessing of living from assurance to assurance by crying out to him and experiencing his answers again and again and again. Feast at the table of assurance. That's what God wants. That's his will for your life. To know. So ask him. He will hear you. And if he hears you, you know you will have whatever you ask.